altitude's undefeated. Crap, we able to punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge time, I think. I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and I started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Putting the high line with Rabbi in red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holy Hello, Rapids fans. You are listening to Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. My name is Matt Pollard. It is the evening of Thursday, November 30th, 2023. Earlier today, the Colorado Rapids had their introductory press conference with their new head coach, Chris Armis, and club president, Porrick Smith, was also there. Um, Happy belated Thanksgiving to everybody. But uh, here we are to talk about that, and then we've got a special seeing red perspective on Armis. Uh, but uh, let me introduce my co-host, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Mark, how was uh, your PIDs giving? We did good. We uh, we I put on my my kit that I that I got from Media Day in like I guess it was 2017, 2018, and um, and uh, cooked all day long. And honestly, for me. The food and the quality of the food is kind of secondary to the fact that my family leaves me alone in the kitchen from eight o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon, and I am just in bliss. Um, I did make a, the really pretty apple rose rose apple tart dessert that was in the New York Times cooking section because I was like, "Ooh, this is pretty. Let's make it." And it was okay. I mean, it wasn't like amazing, but it looked pretty, and people on Instagram think I'm amazing. And of course, in the modern era of cooking. We don't really care about how the food tastes, but if it looks good on Instagram, you win all the points. How was yours, Matt? Uh, We've engaged in hyper-reality there, Mark. It was good. I was back for almost a whole week back home. I have so much much unused PTO listeners from just the crazy construction season and not taking vacation other than to climb mountains. Uh, The two times that I needed a three-day weekend in order to make that happen, which were wonderful. But, um, Mark, I was back. Um, The cats are both doing well. They have taken over my room. They think that my room is, or what was my room before they were born, is now their room. So I was an intruder for them. So Henry and Charlie were wonderful uh roommates in that regard uh grandparents are doing good still kicking both of them still in their 90s and wonderful to interact with them and uh it was a very very good thanksgiving mark although i should say my mom is originally from michigan and we had a big zoom call while my mom and i were cleaning the downstairs area and setting up the dining room table and then doing some of the mise-en plus for some of the last minute stuff turkey was in the oven before 9 30 um Pacific time. And so we had the Zoom call with all of the Michigan relatives and everything. We had the Lions game on in the background and it was a disaster and the Lions lost. And my mom was just like the my mom just turned to me and looked and said, Matthew, you remember that one time you stopped, you chose to not have Thanksgiving with us and then you went and watched the Rapids lose. This is how I feel every single year watching the Lions. But this time I had expectations. And I said, Mom, oh, you mean just like the 2021 Colorado Rapids? Yeah. Speaking of having expectations, Mark, uh, so we're going to talk about this now. Uh, Mark, let's talk about the press conference first, then we'll briefly touch on the end-of-year roster decisions that the club dropped on Tuesday, and then we'll feature... Yep. Uh, Mark, do you want to tell our listeners the, the special dessert that we have for them tonight? We have Mark Fishkin. It's a dessert of fish, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Fishkin is 
a MLS supporter original. He came up with a new term. We like to use the term. Um, I'll just, this is my only important, exciting thing. We like to use the term citizen soccer journalist. He uses the phrase supporter reporter for what he Ooh. calls himself. So Mark's been following um, the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars since they were created in 1996. He has opinions, clearly because uh, Chris Armist was the head coach from, I think it was 2016 to 2018. Well, he was there for between being an assistant under yeah, Jesse yeah. Marsh and right. being the and then he coach. was the head coach from eighteen to twenty. So six so, years totals that he was uh, working yeah, yeah. at Red Bull. Yeah. So um, we I got to ask him a lot of questions about what we can expect from from Chris Armas, and he had strong opinions. And I'm really excited actually for February and March to roll in to see how correct Mark will be. Um, and I also am excited to see what roster decisions will be made over the next three months. Because it'll kind of tell me, you know, how much, you know, the old Chris Armas model of a team is going to be rebuilt. But we'll leave it at that. You'll hear the inter- interview in a minute. But Matt, first, let's get to your excitement, which is you got to go to a press conference today. I had to work, so I couldn't go to the Zoom call. But Matt, you got to um, have first dibs on sitting and speaking face to face with Chris Armas. What were your first impressions? Uh, well, I didn't get first dibs, Mark. I had first dib in the room where it happened. Uh, Brendan Plum was on Zoom. And uh, so Brendan got the first question. And then I can't remember the guy's first name, but Siegel, he's one of the editors at MLS. So he got them. So, Mark, if there's two outlets that Burgundy Wave and Holding the High Line are going to be deferential to in a Rapids context, the post and MLS is fine. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was it was overall good, Mark. I was by the few things that I was not surprised by what Chris Armas was going to say. I was generally encouraged by them. I think he's certainly bringing a positive energy, and I think he's bringing an energy and mentality that certainly the club is going to need going forward, something that unfortunately I think was a weakness for Robin. Robin was a steady, calm hand, but on some level Robin was a stoic, slightly pessimistic, reserved black center back and we need somebody who's going to have some some pep in their step and everything you know we some we need some all right now we need some uh you know some ted lasso we're going to hit man city with the chaos hammer and that's something certainly (laughs) that energy drink soccer is capable of having so but other than that i would say in terms of like percentage of words said by chris armis or by porrick smith that i was surprised by or intrigued by i'd say 75 to maybe 80 percent of it wasn't really there porrick didn't say a whole lot unless he was asked about something different from the call that i had with him um uh you know last week or two weeks ago now um leading up to the announcement on Chris Armas, so he highlighted wanted a leader, wanted a guy who was going to be good with youth, and wanted a guy who was aligned with their vision from a tactical approach. And that's something to where they want to be really good in possession, but they also want to be really good in transition. Chris Armas finished out a really good answer to a question, or this might have been his opening statement, Mark, where he uh, called out the supporters and said that he understood where they were coming from and the pain certainly they had, and he ended that answer by saying we will be an attacking team and that's certainly encouraging from obviously the Pablo Ball era and at the times what I would say Frazier Ball turning into Rapid Ball turning into not that different from Pablo Ball at times but you know there was a a lot that wasn't really said you know there was ambiguous stuff Chris Armas coming in um, being energetic I I think the thing that was most enlightening for me Mark the two um, both of which ironically are um, uh, 
I asked a question about roster decisions, and then Mitch Carroll also followed up with a question about Rubio and about Price. Um, and so he, uh, Porik had mentioned that they are close on some of the young guys, and that could be coming in the next couple of days. So I am not surprised that, in all likelihood, Sebastian Anderson and Ali LaRoz are going to be back with the team. I specifically asked him to explain the circumstances around uh, Abe Rodriguez, who the club declined the option on him, but then uh, he's not listed as one of the players they're negotiating with. And then, I don't know if you've seen, Mark, I want to I wanna highlight this person. I want to give this person credit. So Mark, Mitch uh, Carroll from DNVR asked the question about Price and Rubio departing the club. As I had previously reported, it seemed like it was a difficult but ultimately agreed upon mutual parting of ways between Price and the club. And maybe there was some uh, maybe there was something associated with the return to play protocol and the way that he was recovering from the uh, Achilles tear because he's not Aaron Rodgers and doesn't go on darkness retreats and everything to where that was a mutual parting of the ways, albeit a difficult decision probably by both parties. Um, and Pork mostly backed that up. But Pork um, alluded to Jack Price uh, about to expect his second child and him wanting to go back to England and kind of set up the family for a post-playing career, which was likely going to be back in the Midlands anyways. And then um, he mentioned with Diego Rubio that they wanted to get younger at that position. And then maybe with what they were trying to do as a transition attacking team, that Rubio, while being a good attacking player, that's not necessarily where he best fits in. Uh, Jeff Brantley at man in the cage pod on Twitter slash X then tweets out Mark kind of summarizing that answer. And then you get comments from Diego Rubio. He did four of the smiling with the eyes tearing up emoji. And then Jack Price does the like hand in face SMH emoji as well. Uh, Diego Rubio has since, I don't know if he's made that tweet private. That's not no longer viewable. I think crisis is still public. Um, DNVR Rapids um, got the screenshot of that mark, and I've retweeted that from HTHL and from Burgundy Wave. So uh, I think it was ultimately mutual, but ultimately a difficult decision. And I think it was a very easy scenario that both sides of that both sides in terms of price, his representation, his family, vis-a-vis the club agree to stay together and I have to believe that Rubio that wasn't necessarily him that wasn't him snarking at Porik's description or maybe um <laughs> colorful interpretation of the truth but maybe just uh, Diego Rubio is a extremely petty human being folks and he takes things very very personally and that fuels him and so him saying that and so him probably interpreting that Porik said that, oh, he doesn't fit the system for a team that wants to be good on the ball and create chances, be an attacking team, but also be good in transition, that he could not help do that, given what the team clearly has been both in possession and out of possession without him as well. So it's a great opportunity for him to get signed eventually by RSL and then for uh, for Diego Rubio to score a brace or a hat trick to win the Rocky Mountain Cup next year on us. You know, like that's that's just absolute haterade fuel, baby. Yeah, no, absolutely, Mark. And I've, <laughs> I've, there's a few other players that have certain feelings towards leadership at the club, Mark, who I think certainly are going to have a revenge tour energy against Ugh. them in ways that Dom Baji did, but in his own Dom Baji way that was still yeah. healthy there. So that was the one thing that I think Porik said that really stood out to me that I didn't already know, infer, or haven't heard directly from him, Mark. And maybe the one interesting or the few interesting things I heard from Chris Armis. Um, the first was a very long-winded 
answer to <clears throat> um, to my jo- um, to my first question that I opened that I think had a little venom. He laughed it off, which was a green flag for me. In that, I think that means that um, that he's going to have a good energy, or he's going to be he's going to be down to earth and open to criticism and open to dialogue with media and with fans in ways that Robin was certainly very dismissive and at times um, snarky towards when he disagreed with the premise of the question. But so I, I asked Mark about um, players being un, or um, fans being underwhelmed with his appointment and then that being based on them looking at his track record with his last four jobs not to belabor the point folks but obviously he um inherits a stacks team from jesse marsh that was top of the table they go on to win the supporter shield he fumbles the bag tactically in 2018 they lose to atlanta in the eastern conference finals they uh uh they regress over the next 18 months he's fired uh, six months with Toronto FC, one win, albeit in the COVID year when all the Canadian teams had to be based in the U.S. And then obviously the time at Manchester United where there were rumblings that players were ju- uh, nicknamed him Ted Lasso, implying he was an American who was out of his depth and didn't deserve to be there. And then his time at Leeds where ultimately they were relegated under Jesse Marsh and then multiple simultaneous interims like um, how Rome had two emperors simultaneously that one time. And so he, Mark, uh, Chris Armas, did a really good job of documenting each of those roles. I think areas or things that he learned along the way or particularly learned in failure. I think clearly from his approach, he took some he took accountability for the failings, regardless of the circumstances at Toronto FC, saying learning about dealing with pressure and expectations and difficult circumstances. And regardless of the adversity, like that's not an excuse. How do you respond to that is important and do that from a leadership standpoint so certainly he learned in failure there I think he shook off a little bit the relegation from Leeds albeit he wasn't there as long as Jesse Marsh or the interims were and everything so I can take that but clearly I think he clearly laid out for me to for me Mark um, ways in which he has been a better coach because of the four jobs that he has had most recently and in particular, the lessons that he learned along the way that ultimately um, in the face of failure that now leads to him being a better head coach today than he was his first day as head coach in the summer of 2018 at Red Bull. And then certainly better than the head coach who was fired after a historic, um, what, 7-1 to one loss, whatever that was, to DC United on 4th of July in 2021. So that stood out. But, you know, Mark, talk is cheap, and it's really easy to show up and say, you know, oh, I'm super energized, and, you know, ownership has given me so much support. Thank you for the opportunity. You've won a Stanley Cup. You've won a um, uh, you've won a Larry O'Brien trophy. We're capable of winning. I've learned so much as a head coach, and I'm excited to work with the players. The players are better than they have been. Now we just have to work really hard. Anthony Hudson, Mark, sounded really, really good in his opening press conference before we saw him actually do the work and yeah. fail to um, do snow. And then the last thing, Mark, that really stood out for me when Armis was asked about players in particular, what he thought about the roster, he highlighted Navajo, Bassett, Ronan, and Bombito like Navajo's um, energy and hold the play and felt that he hasn't gotten enough service in order to create goals, said the usual things that we would say about Cole Bassett and Connor Ronan for me, <clears throat> and then described uh, Moise Bombito as a really joyful player and one who's becoming a well-rounded center back. So if those are four players that are part of the plan, Mark, and 
Chris Armas thinks that those guys are great and I'm going to make them greater in 2024. I am here for that in the attack, in the midfield, at center back. Bombito and Max Shu in a back four. Let's go. Um, but that was really about um, that was about it for me, Mark. Um, listeners, if you haven't, I would encourage you to go through and listen to the 47 minute press conference. I'll include a link in the show notes, but the clubs put it out on all of their socials and it was live streamed on their YouTube page. But there was a lot of fluff, Mark, and a lot of expected answers, uh, regardless of how members of the media fairly um, portrayed certain things that uh, then they took a more positive stance on. Oh, and there was a, a funny, I was texting uh, with a Rapids fan earlier today, Rabbi, and one of the fans described the uh, moment with um, Armis and Pork talking about finances and everything and being able to build a competitive team that was kind of funny, kind of cringe, where he says, you know, um, it's up to Pork to get the money in order for us to improve the roster. So uh, if there was a meme to come out of uh, the press conference today, it was that. But Armis showed up with good energy. I wasn't surprised by that. The fact that he clearly understands the job that he was getting into was positive. He ran into a member of the media, Keith Richards, from Nuts and Bolts Sport earlier before the press conference, mentioned him by name. So he's doing his homework to meet everybody and know what they are and everything. He spent 10 or 15 minutes talking to guys from C38 and the Locos as well. So he's learning to speak Colorado baby. And I think he's uh, he's growing. He's trying to understand where people are coming from. And if nothing else, Mark, that's a net positive because Hudson didn't really try to, for me, didn't really try to understand and empathize with the circumstances and the reality. And so if he can at least understand the problem statement and meet people emotionally where they are, that's something Hudson didn't try to do and something that when things were difficult, Robin Frazier failed or refused to do. Nice. Well said, Matt. Anything else? No, I was just going to say that you're, I think you're, you're, historical overview of uh uh coaching uh announcement press conferences is good context for the sense that like we're jaded and we no longer think these are all as, as exciting all that exciting as they used to be i mean i remember being at the hudson unveiling and thinking to myself like wow this is a big deal like you know maybe i should be hyped for this maybe this is like a big bold new direction for the club and then I kind of settled in for that meeting you you were there matt like you like we looked at around the room and i just thought to myself like wow they got every sales rep in the team every like aramark employee to put on a rapid shirt and make it look like they were all there for the big announcement and make it look like there was a massive media turnout for it but the reality was like you know, there there was a good media turnout, but it was it was kind of like um, astroturfing the event. They tried to like make it, uh, you know, hype, even though it, it maybe it didn't necessarily deserve. But that being said, like you know, talk is cheap. You know, it's it's at the end of the day, the new head coach needs to figure out a direction for the team with the general manager and the president that is going to produce results. And the upside of this is the Rapids have never had a bar set lower. You know, if they can finish 12th next year, be a massive improvement over this year. You know, 10th would be a big deal. Um, we don't know what the MLS uh, playoff structure will be next year, but assuming that they kept it the same way as they did this year, you know, ninth gets you into the playoffs. Like, we only have to be slightly less terrible than we were this year to make it. And um, Armas might be able to accomplish that as long as they get some decent replacements for um, Rubio and Price. So we'll see what happens.
Yeah, no. Don Garber is proud to announce, Mark, that in the new 2024 MLS Cup playoffs format, 28 teams will make the playoffs. So uh, I should say, Mark, uh, Port kind of stuck it in there, but he said that expectations are for them to make the playoffs. Again, that's not a lot of expectations. Like you're asking to finish ninth out of 14 in a table. That should be a reasonable expectation. Well, Um, and one of the great conversations, one of the great points I had with Mark Fishkin was, you know, a poor Mark. I mean, you know, he... Uh, I, I gave their team props for winning Supporter Shield, which is a, a trophy that I think the Rapids ought to win. I think it's the most important trophy, in my humble opinion. I value it higher than MLS Cup. I know we disagree on this, Matt. Um, but, uh, you know, his team has never won MLS Cup. And so, you know, you know, like a coach who can get you to the playoffs is not an alluring thing. It's not impressive for a normal football club. A normal football club does not want to finish top nine out of 14. A normal football club wants to win the whole enchilada in a two to three year, you know, plan in a two to three year span. Um, they're not, you know, like, uh, that to, to quote Shania Twain, um, for those listeners who remember Shania Twain, that don't impress me much would be the reaction to, uh, so you want to make the playoffs? That don't impress me much. All right, that's all the country singing I'll do on this podcast ever again. Okay, Gen Xer, calm down. Um, so <laughs> wow, uh, I just got boomered. That was awesome. <laughs> boomered by the millennial who is called okay, okay boomer. boomer by the Gen Z uh, engineers that he works with during the day yes. job. Um, so I, what else is there from the press conference for me? There was one other thought that I had, Marker. Maybe it was. Um, <clears throat> Oh, I, I was going to say, uh, so I was in the front row on the right, Mark. I was I was in what normally would have been Brendan Plone's seat since he was not able to be there in person. And I was <laughs> the only person. Uh, Babiak sat next to me. There were but there were I was on the aisle seat and there were three seats to my right. Um, they were mostly unoccupied, except for when John Babiak was there to take some close up photos. But, you know, I, I agree with you, Mark, that there are some that. We've both been through three of these now. We've been through three of these as a podcast now for including year one under Hudson. And so the and so it wasn't obvious to me from anything that was said that a lot of stuff has changed at the ownership level. It's good to have a head coach who understands and acknowledges the supporters in ways that Robin didn't always do a good job of or didn't speak to their pain in ways that Cole Bassett did, Keegan Rosenberry did, Jack Price did, to be honest. So the fact that Chris Armis is doing that from day one immediately to me is a green flag. But um, if you when you go back and listen to the press conference, folks, you'll see that Pat Radigan brought the sauce on the two questions that he asked and um, kind of questioned the Armis and Pork's view on ownership and that support and everything. And so it, it's not obvious to me that ownership is changing anything, Mark. And in that regard, it doesn't matter who the Rapids announced two weeks ago and who was standing at the podium next to Porrick Smith today, you know, the, um, the, the limits, uh, there are limits to what this club is able to achieve right now. And unless that changes, I don't think a whole lot is changing. Can Armist and the Rapids money ball and distress assets in their way to being a perennial playoff team of finishing in the top two thirds of the Western conference, you know, three out of four, four out of five years. But, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't think Chris Armist gets them any closer to MLS cup because I think the initial prerequisites for that are something that just KSE isn't going to entertain and in that regard mark it almost doesn't matter like i i feel like we're gonna we're gonna be doing this pod right now in three to four years when armis isn't retained because things don't work out long enough they decide that hitting the new coach you know 
hitting the new coach button ends up changing things. And so in that regard, I'm indifferent to today, even though Chris Armas was nice to me when I asked him a structured, fair, but difficult question. Let's talk roster changes. Mark's already mentioned. Uh, we think Sebastian Anderson and Oliver Laraz are coming back. Mark, yes, no, we'd be in support of this. I I am I'm hashtag free Ali LaRoz at this point. I just okay. don't think the club is ever going to use him. I see Ali LaRoz as a competent long-term USL starting midfielder, like a really great pure number eight for a very good USL championship team and a guy who could learn at the USL championship level. I see him as kind of like maybe his, I think his ceiling at this point is like Dylan Powers. Um, which is like kind of a grinder MLS midfielder for two or three years who ultimately will kind of like move along or be a bench piece. And that's not what I want for him. I think I, I, I would just be really, I think Ollie, um, I, I want Ollie to play and I want to watch him play. Um, and I just don't think that's going to happen with the Rapids. So I'm hashtag free Ollie LaRoz with Sebastian Anderson. I'm a little more confused. Um, as I posted on Twitter, he's X. Sorry. We're going to get there eventually. Um, he's only 21. Uh, his, his growth has been kind of like back and forth and a little confusing, but I think he's got a, a, a lot of potential to someday be a starting right back for, for a good MLS team, including the Colorado Rapids. Um, I think he might be the heir apparent for Keegan Rosenberry. So, uh, non-tendering him and then trying to cut a new deal with him is a little confusing to me, unless you decided not to give him a extension or to, to give him to exercise his club option because you want to cut a longer deal with him. But usually when you don't exercise a player's club option, you're trying to re-sign him for cheaper. And I don't think you get much cheaper than Sebastian Anderson's current deal. So I'm a little confused about this deal. I'm not really sure what it means. Um, uh, I mean, it might've just been basically like, you know, we'll quote unquote negotiate with him, but we're ready to move on from him too. So we'll see. I don't know. What what if that Matt made sense to you, or do you disagree? Yeah, I mean, I I think the, the so the question that I would have is in whatever conversations Armis had with Ollie the Raz, did he have views on was Armis watching what they did for Rapids two? Has he seen film on what Sebi did towards the end of the MLS season with the first team? And then in that is are both of these guys that he thinks absolutely will be in and around the first team. Because then I think then you warrant let's renegotiate to get them salary compensate with the fact that they will be first team players. And let's also get them longer term deals so that we can control whatever future there is, as somehow we, you know, if we hit gold with them in the ways that they did with Sam Vine. So that's my thinking behind that. I would support them coming back if that's that. Um, if both of them are, um, uh, but if their representation are getting feedback that they're still having to fight for like auditioning for being with the first team in preseason, then I could absolutely both of them saying like, let me get out of here. Let me go to a USL team. That's going to start me day one of preseason. I want to touch on a Rodriguez, Mark, who port uh, said some stuff, but didn't say he spoke. He didn't say a whole lot with how he referenced Sebastian Anderson, excuse me, um, a Rodriguez and them not wanting to do that and go in a different direction and everything. I think, unfortunately, Mark, I'm at the point where I'm no longer going to take the PR in front of cameras view on homegrowns from members of the front office or even members of the coaching staff on homegrowns. This is especially if Sebi and Ollie do not um, resign with the club because all I heard out of 
the club for what the almost decade, the seven or eight years, however long that um, that Abrod was there was their belief in him. I never heard anything. I only heard glowing belief from Chris Sharpie on and off the record about a Rodriguez and the fact that like he does what he does with Rapids two, And then he finally gets to start with the first team and everything. And then it's the, Oh, not renewed, not going in or, um, you know, and then not renegotiating and everything, unless this is something to where he specifically wants playing time. Cause I don't think that a coming back and getting a third year in next pro is necessarily a productive use of his time. I think the next thing would be, let me find a team that's going to be competitive in the USL championship and go on loan there. I don't think he was getting into the first team, even if William Yarbrough isn't retained with the, club or whatever happens with that third goalkeeper spot, Abrod being the second and Marco Ilicha being the starter. And so I have to wonder, Mark, is this is that decision ultimately the financial and competitive decision that confirms the doubts that you and I and others have had for the longest time, which is A. Rodriguez is listed at 5'8". I'm 5'6". I'm stood next to him in regular dress shoes, in cleats regularly. He is not more than 5'9". I feel like if he was 5'10", they would have updated his listing as being 5'10". And is there just a doubt of what he can be based on his measurables of his height and his wingspan and everything? And this is the ultimate reflecting decision of that, despite all of the comments that I have heard previously about him going back to being in the academy and training with the first team in 2020 being that they believe that he can overcome that. So, um, Mark, can we officially, I will acknowledge I was very slow to this boat. I want to give credit to uh, Joseph Samuelson, who said it from the start. Gustavo Viasia not retained. Mark, I think technically still Columbus crew um, still have that purchase option. So potentially Columbus could activate the purchase option and then choose to pick up his option for 2024. I think we can officially call that a overpriced panic buy. And Jason Maxwell had a really good tweet just about like how many assets that were sunk into a center back who clearly is not regarded as highly as Mike Edwards or Daniel Cachone, Chacon, or certainly Moist Bumpito. Uh, good luck, Gus, but also you got two red cards in like 15 appearances. So um, you know, what a waste of 800k and then possibly another 400k in paying to Cincy to then pay to his parent club from South America when he came over. If we're assuming, um, Cincy Soccer Talks reporting about that transfer fee being amortized was correct. Um, other roster decisions, Mark. I don't think we need to talk on Luis Diaz. We've already discussed Diego Rubio and Jack Price, certainly. Uh, Mark William Yarbrough coming back off of injury. Want him back? Don't care. Think he's washed. Illich is the starter. What do you think? That that was. I mean, there were two decisions that I guess three decisions if you count Sebastian Anderson that threw me a little bit. Um, the mention of you know talking to William Yarbrough. I mean, I think the only way in which they that conversation took place is like they sat down with him and they were like, "Listen, you're gonna be the backup. We're gonna pay you backup money." If you're okay with that, you know, have your agent talk to our team and we'll we'll move on. And if not, not. And I would guess his agent is now making phone calls around the country and saying, like, would you want this guy to be a starter? I would guess if I knew the kind of competitive fires of a player like of players like this and also the kind of pay grade that these guys are at, um, they'd take mid market money and a starting position over a good salary to sit on the bench any day. Like I'm guessing William Marlborough after something like a 10 year career in professional soccer is not necessarily in it to try and 
squeeze the most money out of the position he can get, he's looking to like start. He wants to start for a team and he probably informs his agent as such. And so that's the question right now, which is, are there amongst the, you know, uh, 53 or 54 teams between the U.S. and Mexico, one that wants him to be the starting um, goalkeeper? And that's actually a good question. I mean, it really comes down to like what GM is looking at tape and saying like, yeah, this guy's still got some tread on his tire and, and can still get the job done. Um, I mean, I feel like Forrest Smith and the coaching staff passed on Zach McMath and said, this guy's not a first tier starting goalkeeper in MLS. So we'll just move on. And then RSL signed him up and RSL's in the playoffs and Zach is doing a solid job. I mean, metric wise, you know, looking back, you know, combing the memory banks, I'm not looking at anything statistically online, but like Zach McMath was a league average goalkeeper in a league where that's not a, an insult. That's a compliment. That means you're the 14th best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. I will take that. You know, there were years when um, Tim Howard was the 34th best goalkeeper in a league with only 29 star, 28 starting goalkeepers because they were literally backups on other teams who were doing a better job than him in his final year. We would have taken Zach McMath, but we didn't. We decided to move on. We could do better. Um, and William Arbor has been better. He's been great. Um, now we're betting that uh, Marco Illich will do a better job also, and maybe he will. For me, I think it's fine to pass on William Yarbrough. The other player that I was surprised about, Matt, was Ralph Rizzo. Um, the fact that they just ex- they just exercised his option and said, hey, let's go. I was like, really? I mean, he was he has been for me kind of like dramatically underwhelming and more importantly than underwhelming, lacking in um, in demonstration of growth. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to say that Sebastian Anderson is a maybe and we're not sure whether the guy is going to like has a high ceiling and is going to grow into the position, then I'm not sure how you make any different determination with Ralph Rizzo, except for the fact that we're just short of that position and midfielders are hard to come by. I don't know. I really don't. Um, it was, a, was it was I a was... bit of a puzzler for me. I was looking at the numbers as well, Mark, and so Ralph Priso still has a little bit more length on his contract left, and so you're thinking, like, we can pick up a guy's option, pay him still five-figure salary, have him sit on the bench. Right. Like, that. that's a cheaper uh, and less risky die to roll, if that makes any sense. So that that's was really smart. the only that's other a, thought I that's had. That's good analysis, Matt. But I, I, at some point, I want to get a sit-down with Chris Armas and almost, like, go, you know, he mentioned those four players because I think the, the four that stood out, but, like, given how much of a youth guy he is, given coming up from Red Bulls and everything, he's got some connections to the college game and everything. I want to get, like, individually, like, his thought, his plan for what those players look like. What does he think he can do with Ralph Priso that Robin Frazier wasn't able to do, given that Robin Frazier was at Toronto FC for so long that he remembers Ralph when Ralph hadn't even completed his growth spurt yet. If the, and they specifically traded for him. One of the, you know, when they uh, when they sent Mark Anthony K to Toronto FC, they got all the assets and everything. They listed, I think it was three or four, um, young kids, uh, academy kids that they wanted, and Preso was one of them that they were particularly interested in. There was another, uh, his name escapes me right now, I don't remember what he's done with TFC. So specifically, this was a guy that that they traded for because Robin Frazier knew him, understood him, and believed that he could produce something, and he hasn't in, you know, in a year and a half that he's been with Colorado. So that's one that I find 
the only reason it makes sense to me, Mark, is because he's still got a lot of length to go. He just turned 21, and he's you know he's not even going to cost you 100k. That is nothing in the new MLS salaries at this point right now. What are you going to do? Bring back Colin Warner for the league minimum? So, and then the the only other name from a roster standpoint, Mark, that um I wanted to talk about was um. I wasn't surprised by this because I knew this on paper, but Max Alves obviously guaranteed for 2024 and is listed as one of the seven midfielders along with Ralph Priso on that. And we still don't know what's going on, Mark. And it'll be, I think it's, um, I think it was May. Well, I think 10- we know what's going on. And the answer is nothing. Nothing yeah. is going on. We so, know exactly what's going on. So it was May 10th, Mark, that that news broke. That was when I published, that's the day that I published the article at Burgundy Wave about that, compiling some of the stuff and some translated things from Portuguese to English. So we're going on six months now that this is going on. Meanwhile, Mark, we still don't know what uh, Bruce Arena said and to whom, but MLS wrapped that up in like a month, two months. You know, um, FC Cincinnati fans might not be happy about the timing of the decision levied down on Matt Miazga, but they wrapped that up. This is a six-month-long going-on investigation. If we're believing the uh, the geo um, reporting on Max Alves's uh, stories on Instagram. Uh, he was back in Brazil, and then some point late in the fall, in, in this fall that just ended, uh, he was uh, back in Denver, and he's now been back in Brazil for a couple of weeks. Is that related to the investigation? Is that just because the season's coming to an end? And the fact that we don't have any clarity on this, Mark, and like the like at some point, if this goes into Mark, if we get to the season opener next year and we're in the same place in terms of knowledge and the investigation is ongoing and we don't hear anything from Brazil and we don't hear anything from MLS and FIFA's like, well, we're waiting for the legal stuff to hand out and we don't know what the outcome is for Max to say nothing of the macro investigation that's going on there. Like at some point, would it not make sense for the for the Rapids to go to MLS go to the MLSPA and say like the this is dead money on us we are paying a guy to sit around and not do this like can we get a can we get a temporary exempt like open U22 slot so that we can get somebody else can, can we get some can, grievance can we, money can you make up a rule just like you do for every other team in the league when they really need one like can, we, can every can maybe MLS can create a new MLS rule and the new MLS rule is every team in the league gets one made up rule that they get to break in their club's history um, that they could use. And ours will be if you're, if you're one of your players commits a serious felony, uh, you get some sort of salary relief. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Matt's not a fan, but Uh, no, I'm, I'm a fan of this idea. Mark, the the made up rule is the made up rule is you get a, you get to file a one-time switch of making your owner sell the team. Right. I mean, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, like the 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 MLS's propensity for ridiculous made up rules on occasion being like the time Jermaine Jones was assigned to an MLS team by a, a random draw of a of closed envelope. envelopes. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> we don't know okay. how to deal with this. so We're just going to make up a rule. Fun. You know, yeah, we've never so... had a guy. We've never had a guy bet on Major League Soccer. Um, or it'd be involved in gambling and, and, and throwing a yellow card so that he could help the gamblers do things. Therefore, we will make up a rule. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Mark, if, if Gustavo Viasia is a sunk cost because they paid, you know, supposedly 1.2 million in total money and he took up a U22 slot and I think an international yep. roster spot as well. And then you sent him on loan for, 175k in gam and then you finally just decided to cut bait and everything like at what point how long would this have to draw out how close would we have to get to the end of max's 
I think it was a five-year contract or a four plus one that he signed before you say, okay, the million dollars that we paid to acquire him, that we reportedly paid to acquire him, the amount of money we are paying uh, you know, to have our player relations officer to go through learning with him so that ultimately it could be easy for us so that it was hard for us to help Max adjust to the United States. But that made it easy for us to then help Navajo adjust to the United States. And like, at what point does that become a sunk cost? If Viasio was a sunk cost with 15 appearances and two red cards and a bunch of wasted money and everything, at what point does Max taking up a roster spot, you paying him a U22 slot, and all of that become not worth it financially. I should say, Mark, um, this does now open up. Viasia being declined means they now have an open U22 slot. So I do not have a lot of confidence that if MLS adds a fourth DP, regardless of the conditions, that the Rapids will fill that. Or if they are going to do it, it's going to be making Lulz Abubakar a DP so they can save 100 k in GAM and paying him down from the max budget charge. And, but... An, an open U22 slot. I have to believe there's somebody that Chris Zitterbart's been looking at that, it, you know, if could Chris Armis beg and plead and, you know, go cap in hand to Josh Kroenke's office and say, please, sir, can we have 400K in a transfer fee so that I can get a U22 attacking player from South America? I feel I'm more confident that that happens than we get a resolution that absolves the Rapids of the Max situation or a fourth designated player. I have one other roster note to make. There's not that much interesting that happened, to be honest. We, we've made more of this roster non-news than we could have. But what I really liked about the, the roster information was I was reminded that Abubakar Keita is a guy and he exists because I had completely forgot about him, completely and utterly forgot that we have this guy. Now, that being said, I think it would be great if Abubakar Keita showed up, absolutely beasted out in preseason and turned into like, MLS Defender of the Year, that would make me so, so, so happy because we need freaking miracles. The other thing I was going to say off of this roster is I didn't, I, I mean, I suppressed it for the last two months because we haven't talked as much lately, Matt, but like I had suppressed the fact that we have so little roster flexibility this offseason. We don't have that many, we have open positions and we have big open positions. We have money to spend, but like we have... It's 24 we, guys on on the roster. That's insane. The There's 24. I mean, the Rapids will make moves between now and then. Some people will be traded. Some people will be sold. Some people. Jonathan will be, Lewis isn't going to be back. They folks. will do things, right? They will be do things. But but that being said, like you know, we're not going into the off season with 13 guys on the roster like we did a few years ago. Like we're going in with 24. Like they've yeah. got to make a lot of moves, and a lot of the guys who are currently on the roster are not easily movable, attractive options for other teams. You know, you got guys like Daniel Chacon, who is a great player and will be a great player, but right now he's hurt and he's a full year away. You've got guys like Alex Gersbach, who like did not start off very well for the Rapids and was hurt at the end of the season. Like he's not a movable piece and he's basically got to like, you know, show up at training and just absolutely be fantastic and lock down the backup left back position. Otherwise, he was an utterly bad use of money. Like, and there are a lot more guys like that, but we could go on and on. We have we we can talk about it in February, Matt. Yeah, no, to your point, Mark, the the roster news dump that we saw 
on Tuesday did not immediately make it, did not immediately signal that this is going to be a rebuild where typically I would say a rebuild in MLS for a 30 man roster is 10 changes from one year to the next. At Rarely least. do you have less than five, but we're talking 24 guys on the roster right now, Mark. Let's assume Sebastian Anderson and Ali Laraz both get signed. That gets you to 26. And then keep in mind, three of those 30 spots have to be earmarked for goalkeepers. So those are the two goalkeepers that in theory are backing up Marco Ilicha. You're not like the David De Gea is not coming in as that fourth DP mark to completely solidify the goalkeeper position and not let any goals in in 2024. So we like Sebi Anderson. We like Ali Laraz. We think they could make the team better. But like the notion that like, okay, Gustavo Viasia has been declined. The Rapids are signing in a new center back who's going to be better than Maxu. There's not flexibility right now in terms of the number of roster slots open. And we're not convinced that the guys that they bring in are going to be significant upgrades. And in that regard, fundamentally, Chris Armas is going to have to take the, you know, the the bowl of lemons to use the Pochettino analogy that yep. Robin Fa- Robin Fraser failed with in 2023 and turn into something that is digestible lemonade. Right. Which he has no track record of doing based on what you mm-hmm. said about the transition from Jesse Marsh to Chris Armas. But hope springs eternal in this dark winter of this time of year. You know, give me a couple months of shivering in the cold and watching German football and uh, and Serie A, and then come February, I will come back and and be optimistic about what these Colorado Rapids front office folk can do with this roster. Okay, I will be uh, happy. Yeah, Mark. So, um, Abrod just posted on social media on his Instagram a nice heartfelt message. I won't read it out here. You can go view it if you want, listeners. That does not signal to me a guy who wanted out. So, I increasingly think that was a club decision, not necessarily a player decision. Mark, let me scroll through the Ask HTHLs that we might have had to see if there was anything that we haven't touched on. Oh, Mark, there was a posit about uh, getting a number six. Dax McCartney, Dax McCarty in Nashville. Supposedly their talks have broken down. Yes or no, Mark, would you take uh, would you take Dax on the Rapids next year? He's just I, I we're not a team that's looking to rebuild with 30 plus year old players. We're looking what we need to do as a soccer team. So my answer is no. What we need to do as a soccer team is get guys who will get us to 2025. Like we're not winning the league in 2024. So only start acquiring guys who look like in two years they can help this team. Dax is not that guy. OK, um, OK. Uh, Eric Stinson asks, uh, realistically, what kind of 2024 campaign can the Rapids expect? Mark, I'm going to say make the playoffs and then lose in whatever the first round they're playing in. Yeah, I'd be happy with 10th. I mean, that's how that I I, like even like, you know, being in the mix in September would be exciting for me. So like my bar is real, real low and I still think it's going to be hard to reach. Okay, uh, Jody asked about sixes. We already talked about that. Um, Hammer asked. Stay tuned. uh, Stay tuned in our interview with um, with Mark Fishkin about sixes. He's got interesting things to say. Uh, not presser related. Um, so could fit in elsewhere. What does MLS need to do to get fans to pay attention to the playoffs? Uh, I don't like the playoff structure. I think there's too many games. And I do think Mark, the, the numbers and the bump that we saw from Messi indicates that MLS has a fans are fans of an individual team, but don't necessarily watch a whole lot of the rest of the league. I think they have that problem. 
And I think MLS's way to address that was more teams in the playoffs to get more fans to watch the playoffs because their team was in it. I don't really have a good answer for that. Don Garber gets paid a lot of money to make that happen. Um, Eric Vog, Vobg, uh, pod asks, um, what do you think of Rafael Navajo's role will be? I, I think it's going to be the starting number nine, and they're going to try and get him to score goals. Uh, do you think Colorado will purchase? Mark, what does what would you need to see from Navajo before the end of June to pay to write that four point five million dollar check? Uh, uh, he's <laughs> MVP. I mean, like he's got he's got to by, by June, right? You said June, so that's when the that that triggers. So. He needs eight goals, four assists, ten goals, one assist, something like that. He's got to be. That's a lot to ask for. I know, I but that's four point five million dollars. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, they're, 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 if uh, Diego Rubio can score sixteen, um, then not Navajo needs to score eight. You know, by June. So I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh fair metric in comparison there and the last one we'll ask i think everybody else we covered in some part apologies for not giving you a shout out directly but uh scott hammond what's up scott um what is the single biggest need for this roster 610 elite winger mark i should say pork did allude there will be other changes so guys that are on the roster right now won't necessarily be back i'm looking at danny wilson and and jonathan lewis in particular but mark i think number six to fill um uh to fill uh, Jack, the Jack Price void, and then I think mm. some, and then I think some winger, uh, some winger comp- contribution, but particularly, um, natural wingers that stay wide, not Calvin Harris who cut inside or, um, what the way that Kevin Cabral is very direct at goal. We, we need a guy who's going to have chalk on his boots. Yeah, I think it's a seven or a nine, um, some kind of winger who can play with or a off seven, of the- a seven, yeah. Seven or a nine, so because like, because Navajo is the nine, but like, if you're gonna play, if we were to play a two striker system, um, you know, I consider that two nines. I know that that's not exactly soccer orthodoxy, but I don't want to dictate what the team is gonna come out in formation wise based on, you know, I think a good soccer team has two or three competent strikers. You know, you have Thierry Henry and BWP. And you you could call one a seven or a nine or what you know like uh, Messi is a very funny kind of player because he's kind of a a seven who's a ten who's also a nine when he wants to be so something like that um, but like a you know butt kicking number six is always something I would love and I do think a double pivot at the six with Connor Ronan and a second person a young version of Kyle Beckerman a young version of Dax McCarty. Um, a young version of Bastian Schweinsteiger, all of those would be amazing. But I just, you know, it's very easy for me in my ivory tower backslash my wood panel basement to talk about um, former MLS MVP level caliber players who I think the Rapids should go out and get as if that's like the easiest thing in the world. Like identify a young, amazing future MVP player and get him when he's cheap and available. Like easier said than done. Rabbi, that is the Michael Azira Memorial Podcasting Basement. How dare you denigrate the wood panels of said basement, given the namesake that they carry. Um, I think that'll do it for us uh, listeners. Uh, Mark, I don't want to. We've gone way longer than we were expecting to go. We always do. The, on, this is why you subscribe to Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red listeners. Um, so I, I won't do our usual blabber and everything, Mark. Uh, but listeners, I'll, I'll try and get 
I do want to try and get Armist for an exclusive before the end of the year. I've got some ideas for Evergreen stuff, so stuff will be on the feed. There is a very good possibility that Mark and I will not be doing topical Rapids content um, between now and probably leading up to the Super Draft. Oh, um, Mark, uh, last question that I got. Um, give me predictions. Uh, who plays in MLS Cup? Who wins it? Uh, I put money on Cincinnati, so I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping for Cincinnati, if only to save any semblance of any of the leftover money I have in my betting account, which is basically all spent. I will have to work overtime in order to get the hat that I really want to get. So, um, and don't forget to stay tuned for Mark Fishkin, uh, right here on the pod. Yeah, um, I've got uh, give me LAFC beating Columbus Crew. Nice in this one. Uh, I think no Matt Miazga is going to be going to be a, a problem. Cincinnati's back line is going to be in hell on the weekend. Um, but I think that'll do it for us here, folks. Uh, stay uh, tuned right now. Here is Mark is Rabbi Mark Goodman's conversation with Seeing Red and Metro Stars 96 OG Mark Fishkin right now. Hey, folks from Holding the Highline World. Uh, this is. Your friend Rabbi Mark, uh, it is great to have with us on the pod a special guest. This is Mark Fishkin. Uh, Mark is going to, we'll take some time to talk to Mark about what his uh, curriculum vitae is with the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, a.k.a. Uh, the New York Red Bulls or the or Red Bull New York, depending on uh, which corporate entity you listen to and which naming nomenclature rules you follow um but uh yeah we're doing a, a special uh interview with mark and uh for those who don't know the reason is because the colorado rapids have i mean you probably already know this but have signed chris armis to be our newest manager slash coach and chris was the uh red bull assistant to jesse marsh for several years before he became the head coach from middle of 2018 to 2020 so with no further ado, Mark Fishkin, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I uh, I know that that it's been a, was a very strange season in Colorado, and I know in a world of coaching candidates, uh, Stan and his team has have selected Chris Armis, which <laughs> um, you know is definitely a choice. Yeah, and. You know, Chris has had a really interesting professional ride, and he is one of the 20 men uh, who have had the title of head coach of uh, whatever, however pedantic you want to get about the name of the New York Red Bulls. But yeah, he he presided over the team's um, third shield in six seasons in 2018. And then made a horrific tactical gaffe in game one of the 2018 Eastern Conference Finals, which truly doomed the Red Bulls, who during that season had set the all-time record for points in an MLS season with 71, which has since been broken. Hmm. Um, and he he blew the tactics against Atlanta wound up losing 3-0 in the first leg of what we now, I guess, look look on uh, quaintly in the rearview mirror as a two-legged aggregate goal uh, playoff series, which you know doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. And uh, the fans never forgave him. I was going to um, just uh, go back a little bit, but you set me up to some degree. You said 
He was the 20th coach in the team's history. No, he is one of 20 people, 20, 20 guys that have had the title as coach in the club's 28 year history. 20. Yes. He wasn't the 20th, but one of a, perhaps not so exclusive club. He's like number 17 in the list. Something like that. that. Yeah. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. You've been with the club as a supporter from the very beginning. Yes, I'm an old school 96er, 96er. I'm an MLS original. Um, actually had brown hair. Not that you can see when this team, uh, started. Uh, single guy living on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and a big soccer fan. And now in the, I don't want to say a flash, because it certainly has not been, uh, 28 years later, uh, been recording the Seeing Red podcast about the team. Uh, for 14 of those years, we're about to uh, kick off in the spring. We'll have our 15th season of seeing grad. So, yes, I've it's, been a supporter and then a reporter supporter since then. Yes. Oh, I love reporter supporter. We call ourselves at our podcast Citizen Soccer Journalists. Tremendous. Um, but I love supporter reporter. That's We're going to add that to the lexicon. Um, Go for it. Wow. You, you, I mean, you basically started following this team when they had a different name. Uh, yep. when they clearly had a different stadium, right? Yep. Um, and there also was no Twitter and there was <laughs> no, um, there was barely an internet. I mean, there, there yes. was just sort of kind of an internet. I remember in, in college, uh, getting my first email name and there wasn't a whole lot to it. Um, right. and there was definitely no podcasting. Um, how did you in like 96, how did you find out there was a soccer team and why did you decide to support it? Sure. So, um, as a, as a gentleman of a certain age, I actually <laughs> attended, uh, New York Cosmos soccer camps, Pele mm. soccer camps when I was in summer day camp and, uh, became, became a fan of the Cosmos who were at their zenith when I was a preteen. And, uh, then there was, you know, the interregnum between 1984 and 1996 where there was no yeah. D1 professional soccer league in, in, in the United States. I attended World Cup. 94 yep. uh, at giant stadium and um was following with great interest the notion that there would be a top flight professional league starting as soon as they could in in 96 and was a uh, you know was in right away to to get season tickets i i also went to the 94 world cup in the rose bowl in in pasadena i saw cameroon versus sweden who did you see I was one, and you'll appreciate this. I was one of the four Jews in Giant Stadium for Saudi Arabia versus Morocco, <laughs> uh, and our seats, which it was the only game I could get, and our seats were I think four rows from the top of the stadium, and it must have been a hundred and five degrees that day. I mean, oh, it wow. was it was the hottest, sweatiest, humid, most humid days. I can ever remember. And our, uh, in order to get to Giant Stadium from Manhattan, uh, without a car, you had to take a bus from the bowels of the Port, Port Authority bus terminal, which is not a place you want to be daytime or nighttime. And our bus driver, uh, got lost. Oh my God. On the way to Giant Stadium. It's like an, it's like a 15 minute ride. And I was basically like, dude, the stadium's right. Th- it's like it's right there. <laughs> See it? Go there. And we were able to get in before kickoff. And uh, wow. yeah, that for sure. That's wild. 
Um, yep. All right, forward to this. Uh, well, we'll go. We'll go back to the the end of 2018. So, yep. just just refresh if you remember. And I apologize if I'm calling you out and, and asking you to remember things from many moons ago. Do you remember the kind of post Jesse Marsh Chris Armist transition period of like why he got named? Um, yeah. What you were expecting? Uh, was there excitement? Was there trepidation? Did he feel up to the task? Did he feel anointed by Jesse Marsh? Sure. Well, I'll tell you that it was really an open secret. It wasn't a secret at all. It was very much in the open that Jesse was was leaving the New York to go to Europe, to Scotland, I believe, and get his UEFA A coaching license. Mm. And he was very upfront about it and basically said, look, I'm I'm constantly looking to improve myself just as any player would. And this is what I have to do. And I famously remember a match at Philly early in the year in 2018 where he like ran, he like ran away. Like he, he had to get to the airport to get his flight to get to Scotland. And it was like kind of during the game and people were like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, you know, Jesse Marsh who came in followed, Mike Petke, who was ignominiously let go by yeah. then GM Ali Curtis, and that you know set off this now famous town hall meeting, where a a fan, I will say, famously yelled, "Why'd you fire Mike Petke?" It wasn't you. It was not me. No, okay. I have a, a little more tact than that. <laughs> and so. Um, Jesse very quickly became a fan favorite because his teams would win. He won the shield in 2015. Uh, he, they, they finished first in the East a number of times under Jesse. And then, you know, kind of at the mid season break, Jesse had an opportunity, right. To jump, uh, to Salzburg and he took it and Chris, it had been known for a very long time that Chris was the number two guy. He was the, he was the, the player's coach, right? Mm -hmm. He was the inside guy that really translated a lot of what Jesse wanted into action for each of these players, breaking them down with them on an individual um, standpoint. Now, the thing about Chris, which you will find out if you don't know already, and perhaps Chris has improved, Jesse Marsh was a master communicator. You know, Princeton, you know, attended Princeton, played for Bob Bradley. These are all guys who are part of the Bob Bradley coaching tree and was just such a clear, concise communicator that anybody would have had a drop off. Chris at the time talked in sentence fragments about what he wanted he he would constantly interrupt his interrupt his own train of thought mm. and for someone that was covering the team then uh, for for scene red and was around the team it was it was a remarkable shift mm. it was it was difficult so All so Jesse was quite eloquent and absolutely. Chris was Chris was a little bit more kind of clunky a little less eloquent Got it. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to say that he wasn't eloquent, and I don't want to say that he couldn't communicate, but it just wasn't the same to, to I think, uh, Armist's detriment. 
Yeah. Now under under Chris, the team's points per game actually got better in 2018. Mm. They went 12-3 and 3 in the regular season in 2018 and famously on decision day, I mean they needed Atlanta Atlanta had a chance to win the shield and they gacked it, which allowed the Red Bulls to win the 2018 shield. And um Chris's style was very different. Remember, these this was the team, the 2018 team, still had, I believe, and I will look it up right now, still had Felipe, still uh I think we was this a year removed from question? Hold on, I'm gonna pull it up. Did he did he uh, it was a, I mean, I, it's, it's a pretty impressive team on paper, you know, uh, Tim Parker and Aaron Long at the back, uh, yeah, Aureli right. Allen, Kamar Lawrence running on the, on the wing, BWP um, and Danny Royer yeah. and Aaron Long and Wheel Tim and Parker. His, his and, first really great season. Yeah. Yeah. Kamar Lawrence yeah. and Tyler Adams. I mean, so right. This was a year post, uh, Sasha. But I mean, th- that was Kaku's big year. He had 16, um, assists in all, in all, comp- uh, competitions. Bradley went 24 and 11 for New York. I mean, this, this was, and again, this was this back line, right? It was Mario, Parker, Long, and Kamar Lawrence were shut down. I mean, they, they, and, and of course, uh, Robles and goal. I mean, th- this was a phenomenal, phenomenal team. Mm-hmm. But the thing that happened, the difference between Jesse and Chris that year is that after Chris took over, the team got a lot more defensive and they were winning a lot more matches. And I'm going to all time results right now. They won. I mean, they were winning games. They famously beat City 4 0 that year. Um, they scored they 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 beat city four nothing twice once in the league once in the open cup um they advanced to the ccl semis mm. where they lost to chivas in a very very difficult two-legged match two-legged tie one nil but down the stretch i mean there were a lot of one nothing victories there were a couple of two nothing victories like the free the uh, the high scoring notion nature of the Red Bulls kind of tightened up in the, in the back Mm. and they were, and, and under Jesse, they were very, very content to win one, nothing. And in fact, you know, down the last 10, last half of the season, they won one nil six or seven times. Mm. Um, and Chris would, you know, Chris is a central defensive midfielder. He, he is who he is and his teams, um, exhibited the type of matches that he wanted to play. So so and, tell me more about that. So one thing I'll say either for our listeners and you can disagree with this or agree with this sure. and then I'll ask you off of this but like the Red Bull ideology yeah. uh is has historically been uh a high press and yeah. something like a 4222 that was kind of flexible which would morph into like a 433 when it wanted to or a 424 when it wanted to. Um yeah. Which is a complicated thing to kind of figure out for um, a neutral observant like observer like the two of us or like you who is trying to figure out well how much of what I'm watching is the coach and how much of this yeah. is you know dictated from the central office in 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 Germany and Austria. Um, another way of saying that in a simpler way is 
you know, in the two and a half years that you watch Chris Armas coach the team, what were some things that stood out to you as tendencies of what it was to, to be a Chris Armas team? As a, uh, well, how did he coach? I think, I think the challenges with how Chris went uh, and Chris's tenure with New York was twinned with a real push to get young, like really young, mm. to the point where they were the youngest, least expensive uh, team in the league. And so, you know, after 2019, uh, where the team went 500, mm-hmm. right, after finishing so incredibly well, Bradley was hurt for a lot of the year. Danny Royer kind of took the reins. Brian White uh, had nine goals until they they flipped him out to Vancouver, which was a horrific, horrific move based on how well he's done. But, you know, you started to see the dismantling of this great MLS veteran team. And really, by the time you get to 2020, um, you know, it's Caden Clark is on the team and Florian Velo, who came up from the two team Omar Hernandez, Fernandez, who's a, you know, um, who's a homegrown Ben Mines, who's a homegrown. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of being attacking minded, there was just no one to put the ball in the net. Mm. And Chris, again, felt very, uh, I think, strong about wanting to win games one nil but it just became evident that they didn't really have the guy to get the one Mm. (laughs) because again it was mid through 2020 that they traded brian white to vancouver you know and after that brian white actually even though he only played in 19 games in all comps he was the leading scorer with six goals now obviously 2020 was a bizarro year for a whole lot of reasons right um and it was on september of that year with the team kind of scraping around the playoff line that, that he was finally set packing. Um, so does that mean that Chris needs a modicum of talent to uh, put his, his play and, you know, put his strategy into place? Perhaps. I mean, I mean, did you sense that the 2019 team was better than they turned out? Did you think that they had the talent or do you think it sounds like you're also kind of saying like, Oh, he picked some guys and the guys that he picked were younger. And that well, was he a, that was a mistake on his choice. He he was not uh, the, the sporting director. He was just the coach. So who was the sporting director? It was Dennis Hamlet, and then okay. Kevin Kevin Thelwell, who came in from Wolves. Um, and that's interesting. So the Rapids have a lot of Wolves connections too. I did not know that there was a Wolves connection to. Yep, and and in fact, um, Thelwell stayed, I think, until the middle of twenty two, and then he went back um to the uk but Mm. yeah i mean i mean looking at the at the 2019 team it was still sean davis and danny royer and mark uh, shotkovsky and aaron long and kaku who that was his last year with the team when he became a problem yeah he was a problem weeks after he got here he (laughs) he didn't want to be here yeah, I mean, he was literally talking to his agent about get me to Club America as soon as possible. Wow. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, back to Chris, you know, the team just wasn't as strong. Kamar mm-hmm. Lawrence, uh, you know, was a little injured, was a little beat up. Um, the goals just were harder to come by. 
as I said, with, you know, without Brad, um, it was just a whole lot more difficult. And, you know, Chris, I, I think like the story, I don't want to say he lost the team because to a man, even after Chris was let go, to a man, although, you know, I mean, getting a, a player to say the coach lost the team is a bit of a stretch, but, um, you know, Chris, it was, st- the team was still aglow from finishing at the top of the league and winning the Shield in 2018, but it was such a, uh, a big step back in terms of result. I mean, yeah. they went from the best team ever to being a 500 team, but made and- the playoffs and then made the playoffs again in 2020. Yeah, but you have to understand, Mark, that this team makes the playoffs every year. Yeah, and, and hasn't ever won MLS Cup. Yes, thank you, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. You're, it's been an edu- educational. Thank you, Mark. That, Sorry, that's really, I, it's really terrific. No, I didn't um, mean. To, I didn't mean to stab you in the. In it's the, former know. Red Bull Matt Kanji who delivered the Rapids' only uh, star on their crest, so, and then immediately broke his leg and, and broke his leg. In an amazing the 2010, it is just a, another story. I, listen, I I don't say it out of uh, out of any one-upsmanship at all. We are in the bottom of the league right now. We're second to yeah. bottom from Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, it's been hard times for the Rapids. And I am a big Supporters Shield guy. I just really think, you know, winning Supporters Shield is real proof that you can do it. You know, especially considering the, I'm going to use Yiddish here, the Ungapachki way we do um, the playoffs every year in MLS, where this year it's a best of three. And last year it's a... It's right. a home and away series. And, you know, one year we're going to do a neutral um, final location for MLS Cup. And another year we'll do it as a, a, a straight knockout with no play in. And, and like the rules change. Anyways, point yeah. being. Um, yeah. So so what are you? So there's also and maybe you haven't followed this and I haven't followed it either. My my friend Matt, my co-podcast guy, was really kind of educating me on this of like, Chris Armas being on the staff at Manchester United and that yeah. having some sort of there being, you know, an outcry in England of what is this what is this American bloke? What is this Yankee doing on our staff? And, um, you know, maybe potentially him being out of his depth or in the, you know, a fish out of water in the wrong place. something like that. Do you have any sense of like what the heck that is? Well, and whether that might have benefited him as a coach going forward. Well, let's see. He He wasn't there for terribly long, right? He was. You know, he was brought in um, with Ralph Rodnick, right? Who yeah. Chris and Ralph got to know each other very, very well during his time with New York. And Ragnick, of course, is big in, um, you know, a big guy in, in Red Bull Global Soccer. And so after Chris's horrific 2021 season with Toronto FC, um, he joined Ragnick's staff. And of course, was it Sir Alex that, that had asked him at one point? Oh, no, this is a true anecdote. Uh, so, uh, Chris, tell me a little bit about where you've coached. And he's like, oh, I was in New York with the Red Bulls and then with Toronto FC. And he basically uh, allegedly said something effective. Well, that's, you know, that's not good enough for here. Like, that's yeah. not, that's not going to cut it. Uh, at, Did you at, see the uh, Beckham uh, series on Netflix? I have not watched it yet. No. The one, the, the, the basic moment, uh, with Sir Alex Ferguson talking about Beckham going to LA Galaxy, right, was basically him saying like, "That's ridiculous! What a waste of time!" Yeah, 
Right. Why are you, why are you doing that? That was the, that was a, he was, he is, was, I, I assume he still is incredibly dismissive of all soccer in this part of the world, which I is, would think he'd be dismissive of most soccer anywhere that isn't, uh, you know. Yeah, he, he was kind of dismissive of Beckham going to Real Madrid, but right. that's, you know, so, but why yeah, would you anyways. want to do that? Yeah, right, right. But I mean, so, to some degree, you know, that's, that's an interesting perspective on like, how do, how do you think that, that affects, you know, what, what Armas, took with him more experience while he was there and whether he was able to accomplish anything. Like, was he hamstrung from the beginning? I mean, I, you know, uh, know, we all saw what happened with Jesse, right? When he took the the reins at Leeds, right? And we all saw what happened. Not last long. Right. And we all saw what happened with Bob Bradley when he took the reins at Swansea, right? And it's like, you're being hired in to coach a bad team and you have to be a miracle worker and you have to be a miracle worker you have instantly eight, you have eight to 12 weeks if that's you're right lucky. that's right to it's turn it around crazy. it's ridiculous it, it doesn't <laughs> make, it doesn't make sense and yet you know the money is so big and it's so important i mean yeah. the you know the idea of like an nfl coach being brought in for eight to 12 weeks right yeah. i mean it's like hey welcome you're now coaching the uh you know the uh houston texans and we're going to give you till week nine and if you don't do well, you're out. I will bring yeah. somebody else. In, right. It just it, we don't really have that that kind of uh, structure here for better or for worse. But nevertheless, I mean, he was there for six months at, at Man U, six months. And I mean, you know, they're still finding their way under Tenag and it's a year and a half later. So, uh, yeah, it was a time of upheaval. I can't imagine it was fun. I'm sure he was getting a lot of abuse. It'd be a great question to ask him. Yeah. Like. You've had you had this interesting European adventure, right? Because so then he was out for six months, and then he joined, um, and then he joined Jesse at Leeds, and then that was it. And he yeah. was gone, and, and Jesse was gone a month later. And so it's like to close the loop, just for our listeners who who want the the full the full picture. I've just pulled up the information on the 2021 season in Toronto. Because I had completely forgotten about it that that he was the head coach. I don't. I mean, I uh, six wins, ten draws, uh, eighteen losses uh, as they finished thirteenth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, one above FC Cincinnati, who took the wooden spoon that year. Uh, one above uh, FC Cincinnati in the overall table as well. Um, right. But uh, you know, uh, and he was fired uh, on July fourth. Um, right. So Armas has taken over at midseason. He's been fired and, and once and been fired at midseason twice, um, which is really interesting. Um, I, I wonder, you know, with Colorado, I imagine he will get some time. Um, we don't have a history of firing coaches. And I mean, a, a, uh, Anthony Hudson got a lot of leash. Uh, where there yep. was no evidence that he was really doing very well. Um, he got a year and a half. Um, Pablo Mastroeni was an odd one because he got uh, two bad years, then a good year, then eight months of a bad year, and then they fired him. So th- it's it's always, and I think to your point about kind of like the step back experience, like when a coach inherits effectively the same team, as the previous year with a few hinks here and there and the team dramatically regresses, the assumption becomes it must be the it's coach. It's got to be the coach. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, Jesse finished, excuse me, Chris Armas finished with a record of 33, 27, and 11 with New York. But mm-hmm. consider that first year, he went 12, 3, and 3 and, won, right. and got them to the shield. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I mean, the question begs to be asked, like, I mean, he, I, I he's, he is a personable, pleasant guy who makes who who does interpersonal relationships incredibly well mm. and it it makes you wonder is he better off as an assistant right. to really be that glue between the the headman and the player i had one of the weirdest experiences i have is that i had a very warm relationship with anthony hudson i found him to be a very nice uh forthcoming um pleasant and kind generally guy but not a very good manager and to some degree i mean rapids fans are still traumatized every time they would see him on the bench um (laughs) for the u.s men's national team and then when he was you know an interim coach for a little bit but you know i was like yeah that kind of makes sense he's good with players you know he kind of knows he knows how to translate a, a a coach's grand tactical vision to here's what you need to do in your quadrant but um, right. Yeah, I was going to ask you that as a as a guy, you know, a, uh, a commentator, reporter, right? a, a supporter, reporter. Yeah. Um, what was what was it like to interact with him for two years on the beat? Like, what was he like in in post game? What was he like at training to talk? He to him? was again, and and we kind of touched upon this at the beginning a little bit. Coming from Jesse, who could very eloquently tell you the things he was proud of and the things he wasn't over the course of a match or a training session or a player or whatever. Chris did not speak in complete sentences. He, even, he, even later on, it did get even later on, time. he spoke in idea fragments yeah. and sentence fragments. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> in many ways he could be brusque like Bob Bradley could. But Bob Bradley, <laughs> right, who famously was like, well, you know, outside the club, you may be thinking this and this and this, but inside the team, we know this and this and this, right? Mm. And and Bradley, while he had an exemplary record as a coach of the U.S. men's national team and obviously did very well at LAFC and did well, not so well in Toronto during this last run, I mean, you can't argue that he's not a Hall of Fame American soccer coach. He absolutely should be in the coaching Hall of Fame. Right. <clears throat> and so when you get that, you know, it, it was it was just always pleasant. It was upbeat, but it wasn't always a coherent right. That's not the right word. It wasn't a connected discussion or a conveyance of ideas. It was a conveyance of parts of ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, we held them well and the defense did great and we got a lot from our midfield and mm. we need to do better. And, and it was just, it, it was difficult at times, but I don't have any doubt that he is incredibly well respected inside us soccer circles. And I think I, I will be very interesting to see, <clears throat> you know, at what point do you, does a, does an American manager have, an assistant on a shield winner coaching at Man U and coaching in the English Premier League. It's right. it's a relatively short list. 
even it was only if even if it only was for six months. He's got a neat resume. That's a really that's a good observation. Um, do you think uh, there's anything you would expect at the beginning of like okay? I would, if you were gonna, you know, take a hundred free chips to Vegas on the first formation the Rapids would roll out, or the way they press, or the way they attack, yeah. or the way they sit back, or the line they play, or you know how many men they commit to the attack versus how how deep they sit. What is there anything that you'd be like? Here's what I'm gonna bet you'll see in your first six weeks. I mean, I think you 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 will probably see a midfield triangle uh, being the the center of the action, right? Mm. And during his time <laughs> with New York, where they were successful, they had Sasha up front, they had Dax in the back, they mm-hmm. had Tyler Adams in the back, mm-hmm. they had Felipe in the back, they had Sean Davis in the back, um, they had Kaku at the top of the triangle, and I think you know the. I think the the old school four two three one that was so popular in the league for many many years, yep. kind of has gone away, and maybe yep. it's kind of going back now, depending mm. on who you got up top and and the quality that that, that can be delivered. I think you're going to see the 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 wingbacks really get into it and get up high and try and contribute. Um, but the but the two the two sixes are going to be the major major engine for for snuffing out attacks and you so think, you think he'll play two sixes yeah i do mm, wow yeah, it, it's it's a back laden it's a back heavy mid midfield triangle that's interesting because um, we don't really have two sixes so oh. um w- w- we we have we have one pure six and that's about it right now so we'll okay. see what happens we've got some rebuilding to do so well as i said there while he was at new york he had dax in the in the back and then felipe and Sasha up front, and that would that worked for a time, um, and then it was Tyler Adams, and then you know when Davis came on, you know shifting around a little bit. But as a defensive minded coach first, which I truly believe that he is, um, I think that that's most likely what you'll see. That I mean, that sounds sort of good. It just gets away. So it's interesting, you know, Pablo Mastroeni was kind of famous for being a very defensive minded. You know, he's a defensive midfielder very similar defensive minded coach. And when he was fired, that was one of the quote unquote, the rapids way, this famous op-ed that was written forever ago at this point about the next two managers that we were going to, you know, we were looking for more aggressive soccer. The other thing I was going to say, just in response to the, we're going to see you might see a midfield triangle and they're going to play out of the midfield, you know, kind of like, I love that. I'm very excited because we haven't seen that in a very long time. The Rapids have been really um, interested in skipping the midfield. You know, like let's let's skip the lines, let's blast it um, up to the corners, or let's let's run it in through through the wings and then cross it. Um, and so it was it was a let's let's not use our midfielders too much because they'll be expecting that or something like that. I right, don't know. Right, right. <laughs> but the, the big diagonal was the thing that the the Rapids were known for for the last couple of years. But the the reason for that might have been. We didn't have anything else. We didn't have anything in the midfield. But that's a good question. I mean, Kellen Acosta was was on our team. He was used as that kind of guy, that kind of Dax McCarty type player out of the back. And um, when he was doing well, we were doing well. And then we he got he didn't get a contract extension. He got mad. We sold him to he forced his way out to LAFC, and we haven't been good ever since. So mm. so that should be interesting. But um, 
you know, we do have a very talented six that um, might be able to do it. Uh, I don't know how much you've watched the Western Conference at all, but um, the Rapids have this young Irish player, Connor Ronan, who came from Wolverhampton. Um, mm-hmm. And he he has a lot of the hallmarks of being, you know, that kind of Tyler Adams, um, Dax McCarty type, tough in the tackle, can spread the ball around, pretty mobile kind of guy. So we'll see. See what Indeed. else they can add. Indeed. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Let you out. Yeah, I mean, listen, as as a journalist who covers another old school '96 team, one that I'm pretty confident doesn't get a whole lot of play uh, in their market. I, you know, I know how much of a sports town Denver is, and it would be great for the team to do well and for people to notice it and for people to come out and support it. Um, you know, I, I can't say that Chris is going to come and play the most exciting brand of, uh, of football that you, you guys are used to, but when it is effective, it provides results. So I hope that he is able to, you know, I, I'm not rooting against Chris. I'm rooting for Chris. Right. I, I think, I think we all want him to be able to show his quality. And, um, I hope that happens with you guys. I roughly feel the same way. I mean, I, the fan base was not excited about this hire. I mean, I think that the, the, I think that his previous records with previous teams hung over his neck like an albatross. And this was not the grand, exciting hire that they'd really hoped for. But that being said, like, you know, I think we're also as a team and as a, a soccer community, asking for results on a shoestring budget. And that, right. you know, that's something that I think we're all a little bit, it's hard to tell whether this team can, can, if, if they, if they had Sir Alex Ferguson himself, whether they could get fantastic results there you um, go. with what they've got. Mark, this has been a real pleasure. I really appreciate you coming on. And why don't you plug your podcast so that uh, those of us in the Rapids world who are absolute soccer podcast junkies can, can hook on to what you're you're putting down. Well, I'm sure that there's a very large percentage of Rapids fans that need to know the day in day out uh, um, happenings on the New York Red Bulls. And if you are one of them, then you should check out Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Uh, you can find us on the former Twitter uh, at Seeing Red NY, and you can find the the podcast wherever you get your better pods. And uh, Mark, it's great to talk to you. I wish you all the best for a better 2024 because it has to be better right awesome thank you you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.